The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we come sitting here now in front of you, entering into your presence to talk to you, a privilege given us because of what you've done in Jesus. And we can then call you the lover of our souls. That's a sweet thing and a remarkable thing. You are the lover of our souls because of what you've done in Christ. And then we can say on top of that, and we do, something true and, and real inside of us wants to live for you, wants to follow you and give our all to you. You've loved us, you've shown us yourself in your kindness, and it calls us after you. And so we love you because you first loved us. You are the lover of our souls, and we want to follow you. And so what we're asking here this morning then is would you help us to do that? Would you show us some of what that path looks like? So there will be some, some intellectual pieces. Will you show us, kind of explain some of what the path looks like? But will you do a work in us that then moves us further down that path that gives us, that gives us strength in our legs to walk it? Not just intellect to understand where it is and what it looks like, but actually enable us to walk the path, to follow you, to live for you. Help us this morning, Lord, with this passage. Open it up in front of us. Grow us up with it. Bring honor to yourself, but also bring blessing to our lives as we live them following you. So teach us this morning, Lord. Clear out any distractions. Make your word clear. Honor Jesus and build your people. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we return to our study in the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to continue thinking about the guidelines or the framework as to what the church and the people of God are to be like. That's what he said his purpose was in writing this. And We saw in chapter 3 he said that he was writing to teach us how we are to behave in the church, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So generally, that's what he's about, showing us what we are to be like, and so generally, that's what we're looking for. How is this supposed to work? What's church like? And as we've seen so far, first and foremost, the church is centered on sound doctrine. Good, true, profitable teaching, the scriptures thought through, and then taught, and applied, and trusted in, and obeyed, so that we see in the scriptures, we see Christ as as God, by his spirit, opens our eyes, we see Christ, and what grows in us then is faith towards Christ, and then what follows naturally from that is a life laid down in love towards him and others. We live for him, seeing that he is the lover of our souls. We trust him and follow him in love. Saw that especially in verses 3 to 7. Then the next paragraph Considering the purpose of the law, we saw what the law is for and what it's not for. And at the end of that, in verse 11, Paul almost incidentally mentions this glorious gospel of the blessed God with which 
I've been entrusted. And you can almost hear him say, right there on the, on the, the cusp of that passage and the next one we're going to look at this one, you can almost hear him say, this glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted, which by the way is an amazing thing, which shouldn't be. That's the intellectual bridge into this morning. Which, by the way, is an amazing thing that shouldn't be. That this glorious gospel from this blessed God, that I would experience that, let alone that I'd be entrusted with caring for it and carrying it forth to other people to help them experience this blessing, that shouldn't be. I mean, maybe for somebody else, yeah, but not for me. That's the connection into our passage this morning. And it raises for us an issue that we'll all, I think, profit as we think about. First, obviously, have you experienced this blessed God in this glorious gospel yourself? Have you and are you experiencing it? But, but then also, working on that word experiencing, do you kind of resonate with Paul's almost like head-shaking amazement. It shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. I mean, wow. Because that's an indication that you get it. It really, it shouldn't be. Not for me. It shouldn't be. Do you resonate with that? Because we're just like Paul. Paul's got different gifts. Paul's a different space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, we're just like Paul that none of us brings anything to the table. But when, if, and as you, you come up to the table and you feast at the table and you find yourself filled up with all the wonderful blessings on the table, and then on top of that, called to actually serve and help other people find the blessings at the table. As you, you pull up there and you find that this table is full of, of wonder and I amazingly am surprisingly and in a rich and privileged way used here. I'm an object of mercy and grace, and it just shouldn't be. If, if you find on the other side of that the, an amazement, a wondering, that's where there's life. God wants to amaze us with that, not just inform us of the, the facts, but to cause you to marvel at it, because that's where life is found. That's where the God who is amazing is found. And in him there is life, abundant life. So we're objects of mercy and grace, yeah, but do you marvel at that? That's what we're going to consider this morning. So let me read verses 12 to 17, and then I'll make two observations from it. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, 
as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's our passage. I'm going to make two observations from it, expressed with a sense of marveling. So I've, I've written these and expressed these with a sense of marveling in them because that's where we should go. What a God with such sanctifying mercy and grace. What a God with such sanctifying mercy and grace. And I, as I said, I put that sense of marveling there in, in the writing because that's where this paragraph is going. If, if we glance ahead, we see, we just read it, verse 17, just prayed earlier. It's this spontaneous, excited, rejoicing praise. Paul kind of says, wow. I've just been talking about all this, which means I've just been thinking about all this, and what a God. Wow. Glory and honor be to him, this great God. That's where he kind of like, just kind of finds himself. He can't help himself there. And, and if we're to actually be following through with all this properly, that's, we should find ourselves there too. So we're, we're going to look at this, and yeah, we've got to walk through some information, talk about some, some phrases and some details and whatnot, but, but we don't want to just cover the material, and we certainly don't want to just like listen to sound doctrine. We're going to do that. But we've got to marvel. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm praying that God will cause us to behold him here like he is and, and share in the marveling like Paul does just spontaneously. And what we see first, what we're supposed to marvel at first is his sanctifying mercy and grace. Verses 12 to 14. We've already talked about mercy and grace up in verse 2 in the, in the introduction. Like two sides of, of the coin of God's loving dealing with his people. On, on the one side, there's, there's mercy, which is the withholding of the, the punishment of, of the wrath in particular that's due us, withholding what we should get. And the flip side, grace is the giving, the kind, loving giving of the good that we shouldn't get of what isn't deserved and earned. And here now, particularly, it's mercy and grace that sanctifies. Kind power from God that sets us aside, that pulls us out, and changes us, grows us up, particularly for ministry service. You see the end of verse 12, appointing me to his service. That's what kind of the idea we're working on here. So verses 12 to 14, God pours out on Paul and on all his people, Mercy and grace for sanctification, for growth in Christ-likeness, for use in ministry service. So we're going to marvel at, but to do that, first we've got to clear away possible misunderstanding. A couple of phrases here, if you read them out of their context, there's one in verse 12 and one in verse 13. If you read them just as the phrases are, read them out of the larger context, you can get this misunderstanding about mercy and grace Despite the definitions of the words, it may seem, if you read them out of context, that Paul deserved mercy and grace. 
because his actual language has the word because, because. So it may seem like something in me made it right, proper, and appropriate, even deserved, for God to give me mercy and God to give me grace. That's not what he's doing, not what he's saying. He's, in fact, though, saying that on purpose to try to guard against a couple of common problems. In regards to mercy, he's trying to guard against presumption. You commonly hear people, not everybody, but, but you hear it commonly, somebody will talk about mercy and God's forgiveness and say, well then, that means that I can do whatever I want. And then God will forgive me. He'll have mercy on me. That's his job. That's what he's like. The Bible calls that sinning with a high hand. An arrogant, proud approach. I, I will do whatever I want. I, I know this is sin, but I'll, I'll forge ahead into it. And then after that, God will be merciful. And Paul wants to say, no, 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 no. Don't use my life as a justification for presumption. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was serving God. I was not trying to not serve him. I thought I was serving God. I was, I was ignorant in my unbelief. Don't, don't know. Presumption has no, no place. You can't play God. He can't be played like that. So he's guarding against presumption, and then he's guarding against what I might call like a, a passive fatalism with regards to grace. So he has, he graciously gave me strength and appointed me to service because he judged me faithful. That doesn't mean faithful in the past. He wasn't faithful. He was a blasphemer. He's talking about he knew I would be faithful. And what he's trying to say is don't, 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 don't think that when I'm talking about grace, that what I'm trying to do is breed some passivity. Well, it doesn't matter what you do. He's going to he, he will do it, he'll, he'll give grace, and he'll serve, he'll cause the service to happen. You don't have to do anything, just sit on the couch. He'll take the gospel to the nations himself. No, it's clearly by the grace of God, he's the one who gave me strength. But I worked hard. 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, Paul says, I worked harder than everybody, comma, but not I, it was the grace of God in me. So don't, he's, don't, 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 don't think that when I'm talking about grace and I'm singing the beauty of this God who gives grace, that what I'm doing is encouraging you to do nothing. Be passive and fatalistic or to presume upon sin. No, 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 no. So clearing away those possible misunderstandings, we, we now we can turn back and say his real goal here is to talk about God. And what it is that God has done, how God had mercy on him, how God graciously gave him strength to be faithful, how God graciously appointed him to service, how God graciously changed him and prepared him for that ministry service. He removed wrath off of me. He had mercy. And then, verse 14, he like turned on the faucet And flowing, 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 flowing. Not, not overturned a bucket, because a bucket would have a, a set amount, turn over, it's empty. A faucet or a waterfall. Flowing, 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 overflowing. 
grace. This is how Paul describes God's work on him. I was a blasphemer of God. And by grace, he began and then kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on pouring on me grace and changed me into a man who has faith. I was a persecutor, a violent opponent, and God flowing, 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 flowing grace onto me made me a man who loves The overflowing grace of our Lord came to me, pushed into me faith and love in Christ, made me like Jesus, changed me, grew me up. God did that. And is still doing that because the grace is still flowing to me. Paul thinks of himself as an object of grace in the present tense, always and forever. Because he is. That's what it means to stand in grace. You're under a waterfall of never-ending blessing. And particularly what he's doing, what Paul's emphasizing here. Now, now grace, the grace that flows to a Christian, the almost, it's almost honest to say you can't ever stop describing it, but he's got a particular focus here. He, he's leaning again on the words faith and love. And how many times have we seen those words recently? It's right up above. What's, what's the point of the sound teaching here in the church? It's, it's to produce, he talked about this in the first paragraph, it's to produce Faith and love. That's what counts, in fact. Faith working itself out in love. And so what God's doing with this grace, he's giving me, he's working in me, he's changing me so that these core elements, what I need to know him and what I need to walk with him and what I need to serve him and to serve others in his name, what counts, he's building that into me. He's doing it by grace. He's changing me and making me more like Christ and then giving me strength to press on faithful. Flowing onto me and soaking into me is the grace of God that makes me a new person, a Christ-like person. That's Paul in his ministry service. He's, he's no superman, he's no giant. He didn't bring any of this with him. He's an unbelieving enemy of God, just like all of us. Until God has mercy, and then pours on him grace. We're all made of the same raw materials as he is. It's really easy for us. We read something about Paul being a minister, or Paul being a servant of the church, and we think, well, that's Paul. Yeah, that's Paul. Paul thinks... I'm a blasphemer. Paul thinks, I can picture the rocks hitting Stephen's head. Get him another one! Give him another one! Yeah! Oh my God. 
Das ist mich. Das ist Paul. And I'm an object of mercy and grace that makes me now a man who trusts this Christ that I was persecuting and loves that man that I killed. And others like him that I chased down and tried to get. We think Paul's a superman and Paul thinks he's a wretch. This is a huge point. Because, and here's the point, and underline this, because if you get this, if you behold this God, and you get the scope of his, of his glorious, sanctifying mercy and grace, you realize, kind of like Paul, you move over to you, he can use even me. He means to use even me. Not the superman. There aren't any supermen. There aren't any superwomen. They're just blasphemers and enemies and insolent people and changed by mercy and grace. Glorious displays of God. Servants of him and for him and others. Faithful and loving. He can use even me. Actually, he means to use me because I don't bring anything to the table, nor did Paul. And the thing that's necessary to make in me what's necessary for, for service is faith and love. And that comes not from me, but from him. And I have him too. He can use even, and he means to use even me. So, so you line up there, you, you look at Maybe blasphemer, maybe stoning Stephen doesn't fit in your past, but, but what does? You know, what, what do you put in there on the line? You right there. You opponent of God. You thief, you liar, you adulterer, you fill, fill it in. What's there? And then right after that, put God in mercy, God in grace, making me a man, a woman, a person of faith who trusts him and loves other people. I don't see it in myself yet. It's, it's, it's only barely there. But that's okay. You don't have to find it in yourself. He brings it. And the waterfall's not done. He's changing you. You're in process. Yeah. But God gives. God gives to each of his people. God gives mercy and then God gives grace. He gives a key that opens up for you a lifetime of meaningful, purposeful, sweet Challenging, relational, important, heartbreaking, frustrating, painful, costly, giving away of yourself. A life of faith in him and love towards others. 
A life of love in dependence on God. And he gives you what you need for that. He gives you mercy and then he gives you grace upon grace upon grace to change you and make you more than you are. And to give you then the only life that's worth living. A life of faith and love. And he gives you what you need for that. So do you want that? Do you want that? Because there is a volitional piece to this. A taking him up on it. Remember, there's no such thing as, a, as passivity here. We're not supposed to be encouraged to say, well, God's going to do that. No, no. We're created beings. We have to act. We have to respond. Paul said, I worked harder than anyone else, but not I. It was the grace of God in me. And, and that's laid in front of us, each of us. We have to make a, a decision about a response of this kind of, of movement from God. It's glorious and it's sweet that God says, I'll make you new. That God says, I'll change you. And then what we have to say is, yes, Lord, and I'll follow. Christ did it. Christ does it. Christ will do it. And yes, Lord, I'll follow. I'm going to make decisions about my time and about my money and about my relationships and my habits and, and everything else because we're actually created beings in, in time and space and we, we have to make all those decisions. What am I going to do here or there? And some of those things should be thought about. What's, what's more profitable? What, what, would, what would be an expression of the love this person needs, this or that? So what he's offering here is, is, I will pour on you grace and make you new. I will press this into you. But do not, Christian, do not think, therefore then I'm going to pack up shop and wait for that to be completed. No. Respond. Say, yes, Lord, please, me. Lead me and I will follow. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Now, I suppose we could talk more about how and in what ways, and, and we could talk about different opportunities, but that's not what the passage is about, not what the sermon is about. Really, the sermon's about, the passage is about God. The God who did this, who put on people like blasphemer Paul, like persecutor Paul, mercy and grace to lead him into service, to make him new and equip him for it. That's a marvelous thing. It's a marvelous thing. And it comes right out of naturally Paul saying, the gospel that I've been entrusted with it shouldn't be me. And it really shouldn't be me because I wasn't even a Christian to start with. That's kind of what leads us to the second point. Here's the second observation. Again, similar. What a God with such patient, saving mercy. What a God with such patient, saving mercy. Verse 15. Here's trustworthy, sound doctrine. 
Christ Jesus came into the world. God the Son, the second person of the one triune God, was forever in eternity past, seated in delight in the throne room of God, communing with the Father and the Spirit. And he came into the world with a purpose to save sinners. To save. You've got to write that down. I'm not to save sinners, not to condemn them, but to save them. He came to save. He came to save sinners. Which I'm going to say that word a whole bunch, not only because it's in the passage, but I want to say it to kind of like press something onto us here. We sometimes kind of don't like that word. It seems a little blunt, a little hard. Or we like to think of it in regards to other people. But to kind of reveal my hand, I'm going to say this so that we get more comfortable with it because I'm going to invite all of us to think of ourselves as this. Because, again, a little looking ahead, because that's how Paul thinks of himself. Sinners... I'm going to say that. Don't worry, I'm not going to to stand here and stay here. I'm going to start here. Sinners. People who reject God's law and break his commandments and seek to be their own guides and make themselves by their own efforts good and righteous and worthy. Sinners. People. Humans. Us. Sinners, and so we suffer with our sin natures and we suffer under our sin, plagued by it, not just coming, to, coming at us from the outside, though that's true too, but rising up from inside of us. It's, it's because we're sinners, we sin, and it just comes out. And sometimes in moments of shameful or embarrassing clarity, we see it and realize something's wrong in here. Something's wrong in here. Because I myself say, this should be, and then I just realize, I don't do that myself. That's wrong when people like me do that. Sometimes in those moments we realize something's wrong. I am a sinner. And so I sin, and I'm plagued by it now. And in myself, in ourselves, by ourselves, we would suffer for it as we answered to God in his wrath for it. This is the greatest problem of all humankind. Sin, because we're sinners. But here's the good news. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, not to condemn them, to save them. I got one mission this trip. I'll make another trip later, but this trip, I got one mission. He came into the world to save sinners, and so as to prove it, he saved Paul and then held him up as exhibit A of his merciful, saving willingness. He came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, said Paul. I'm the chief, I'm the greatest. Because he knew, verse 13's him. He knows the blasphemy and he can remember the rocks. 
But notice this. Not of whom I was the foremost. He twice says he's the foremost. And it's really, really clear. He means right now, while I'm an apostle, while I'm a Christian, while I'm writing the Bible, I'm the chief of sinners. Foremost among them. He knows full well, probably better than all of us, that he's got a sin nature that lives in him and is, a, is alive and well and, and, and fast at work. And having seen, I think, probably God more clearly than, than any of us, having seen that and seen what's in him, he knows full well what he is, not was, is. But he also knew, verse 16, but I received mercy. Here's where I'm a sinner but I received mercy. Sense the wonder in this. This is the head shaking, marveling, but I received mercy. I should have felt the wrath. That would have been proper and appropriate. But I didn't, and I won't, and I never will. What mercy I have received and receive, also in the present and in the future, while being foremost among the sinners, I'm a recipient of mercy. I stand in grace and I stand in mercy every single day. This is how God works in Christ and he is incredibly merciful Jesus is this for Paul, and he's in this for Paul for more than just Paul. Now, certainly he's in it for Paul because he loves Paul and wanted to save Paul, for sure, for sure. But verse 16 tells us that there's more going on here. That in me, Jesus might display his perfect patience. To some really large degree, God saved Paul for you. And for anyone who may grasp something of his or her own personal truth, I am a sinner. And earlier, Steve, you said, you know, fill in the blank, what do you got there? I ran out of paper. I didn't have to think hard. I know full well some of what is sin in me and where the sinfulness sprouts up and what grabs me and my tendencies and where I'm inclined to wander my own way and where I make my own rules and where I turn away from him and where I hurt and use other people and where I, uh, yeah, I see it for sure. That's me, uh-huh. And for that person right there, God says, I want to show you something let me pull up exhibit A, a blasphemy. See the rocks flying and see the, the cheers and, and then watch the mercy fall on him. And that can be you for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. And if you're a Christian, that is you for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. 
Not again, not again. I mean, I, I, I bought that maybe last year, but I've done it again. I'm patient. Oh, I'm patient. I'm really, 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 really patient. Paul was shown mercy. He was not crushed and he was not struck down as he chased Christians and persecuted them and dragged Jesus' name through the mud while he dragged Jesus' people through the mud. And he was patient and patient and patient until one day he saved Paul on the road to Damascus. And then he was patient and patient and patient with Paul every day after that because Paul remained a sinner. And if he saved Paul like that, that's how he saves you. And there is therefore then no condemnation on you who are in Christ. And that should make your head shake and say, no way. No way. Yes way. He saved Paul like this for you and for countless others across all the history of the church as an example for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So he wants to, he wants to say, would you look at Paul and would you see in him? You're, you're just like Paul. You're, you're no better than him, but you're no worse than him. You're, you're a sinner like Paul. And you're an object of mercy and grace like Paul. And you're then one who receives showering grace like Paul so you can be a servant in the church like Paul. Differently, sure, yeah. We're in different times and places with different gifts, but like Paul, a sinner saved by mercy and grace, grown up and sanctified and thankfully used. So he means to show us in Paul both that he saves from sin in the first place, that he like, brings us to life, that the cross actually works. That when he takes a person's sin and says, Jesus paid for that, and Jesus rose again, and then Paul walked out different and changed, he means to say to us, see that can be you. You can be saved and know new life. And then, as we watch Paul walk on through life, he means to say, and I'll keep on saving you from sin. Take me up on the offer. Follow me. Repent and turn, and you'll find in me great patient mercy and more changing grace. One, one of our difficulties as Christians, I think, is that we, if you're, if you're a Christian, you do get saved in, in the sense of, of once and for all. I'm a new, Christ, a new creation. I'm a Christian. We get that. And, and then the walking out of that over, over long periods of time can be difficult. And I think what's held up in front of us here is I'm a sinner Object of mercy and grace. This is how I walk. It's what keeps me moving forward. Paul never got away from these two touch points. One foot falls and it's, I'm a sinner. The other foot falls, object of mercy and grace. It's never only one or the other. And the keeping of both of those things is what causes marveling. 
if we only, if we try to like hop along on this foot, eventually mercy becomes a word for non-Christians. And grace becomes deserved, common, normal. And if we only stand and try to hop along on the center foot, it's crushing. It's, it's life-robbing, it's debilitating. But the two of these things together give us, give us an, an energy, a, a rhythm to life that, that actually causes verse 17. What a God. What a God that he would deal with me like that. Not just 15 years ago when I became a Christian, but yesterday. And I'll bet you a dollar he'll deal with me like that tomorrow. And a year from now, I think I want, not I should, I think I want to follow him into that. A God of such saving mercy and grace and such sanctifying mercy and grace has and can and will continue to deal with my sin and make me new, make me a man, a woman of faith and love in service to him all the way home. To that king of ages, he's given me eternal life and he's the king of eternities always with me, and to that king be honor and glory forever and ever and ever. He's not like the God, gods of the nations made with stuff with their hands. He's invisible. He's not like a, a God who, who comes and goes or who lives and dies. He's immortal. He's the God of glory. He's the God of grace and mercy, always and forever. To him be glory. To him be praise. What a God. He's a lover of your soul and remains so day by day. Live for him and follow him. That's where life is. It shouldn't be, but it is. Let me pray. Father, would you help us to see who we are and to see who you are. Maybe a little bit in a new way in this passage and, and cause us then to shake our heads and marvel. You have done great things for us. Thank you. As we take the communion elements in hand now, Lord, would you continue to meet with us and continue to show us the greatness of your grace and the, the marvelous nature of your mercy. Commune with us now still, we pray. We say thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org 
or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121. 